the outside because not a whole lot to look at on the outside here. I know I see when I look at the mirror I come to that conclusion every time. But uh, all right, it is so good to see everyone out this morning. Today is Palm Sunday and uh, we're gonna go to the story of the very first Palm Sunday in the book of Luke chapter nineteen. Luke chapter nineteen I love uh, the stories kind of from here on out with Christ when you just, you know, the Palm Sunday, this story, it's, it's an amazing story. Um, we try to hopefully paint a good picture of it for you today. And then, of course, you have the Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. You have the Last Supper you get to read about. And then, of course, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And there is so much stuff that you can talk about. All that happened in that, just this one week, from this Sunday until the next Sunday. Um, it's. Just very uh, a lot of exciting stories in there, and of course I'm always I'm always excited about Easter. I love Easter. Easter is the one Sunday every year that everybody kind of treats. I mean, I guess Easter is like every Sunday used to be maybe 20, 30 years ago. That's just kind of you go to church on Easter. That's just that's what you do, you know. And um, it's always exciting to see that uh, see everybody come out for those, and then of course. You're talking about one of the most exciting things in the Bible is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's always... I love Easter. I'm looking forward to that next week. But I love this story too. This is a very neat story because of just the prophecies that were fulfilled. And really, what was taking place in this story was so exciting. It was so meaningful. 
And the people are really excited here, but at the same time, it doesn't it wasn't kind of what they were expecting, I guess. You know, when he when Jesus comes riding in, I mean it was it was the Messiah showing up, just like it was prophesied in Isaiah. And um, I think the folks thought Jesus was gonna you know, kind of take over right there. And that wasn't his plan. Jesus still needed to go to the cross, and of course everybody ended up turning on him. They were all crying Hosanna one day and just a short time later they're crying out crucify him but we understand that that was all part of God's plan that it was all completely necessary but in this story Jesus makes a statement that I think is really really interesting that I want to preach on but we'll start reading in verse 29 of Luke chapter 19 it says and it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives he sent two of his disciples saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which you are entering, ye shall find a colt tied there whereon, yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent there went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. Now, that's kind of an interesting side note right there. Can you imagine if somebody just came to your house and they were taking something of yours? Maybe they take your car. And they're getting ready to leave here. Like, hey, what's going on? The Lord needs it. <laughs> I mean, these guys had some faith too. They let him take it. Okay, the Lord, the Lord needs it. Maybe their people were just more trustworthy back then. Obviously, I think God probably had done a work in their heart. But um, and then in verse thirty-five, and they brought him unto Jesus, and they cast their garments upon their, the colt, and they sent Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, "Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest." So we read some of these stories so fast, but this is an amazing thing. I, I, I talk about it all the time. You probably get tired of it, but I mean, when I went to Israel, that was such an amazing thing getting to see some of these places, and then it just kind of helps you get a mental picture. But the Mount of Olives, if you are if you're on that mountain, on the edge of that mountain, you can look and you can see. I mean, just a great. Uh, great view of that old city of Jerusalem. You would have been able to have a great view of the temple. I mean, the temple was a magnificent building, especially during that time. And uh, right, uh, the entrance was through that eastern gate that you probably heard about. And there's prophecies in the Bible about the eastern gate. And someday when Jesus does come to set His kingdom up on this earth, He's going through that eastern gate. And it's interesting too because if you look at a picture of that eastern gate right now, it's all blocked off. The Muslims, they blocked it off because they know about the prophecy of the Messiah going through there and they don't want Him to be able to. But something tells me that wall that they built is not going to be able to stop Jesus from coming through. They've also, right now, if you look at that side of the hill where the entrance goes to get in the eastern gate, it's all a cemetery now. It's all graves. And they did that because a Jewish priest is not supposed to walk over the dead or walk through a cemetery like that. Something tells me Jesus isn't going to have a problem with that either. I personally think when He goes walking through there that either those people are going to come back to life 
or they're just going to have to move out of the way. I don't know how it's all going to work. But I mean, it's an amazing thing. But Jesus, He's coming through there and He's sitting there on that on that colt and He's going through and the people are waving the palm branches and saying, Hosanna, these people are singing. They're praising God. I mean, having a good time. The Messiah is coming through just like it was prophesied in the book of Isaiah. This King cometh, you know, meek and lowly, sitting upon a colt and a foal of an ass. and Just like the Bible said was going to happen hundreds of years ago. Some that the people have been waiting for is happening right there, and so the I mean the people obviously are excited and they're they're shouting and they're praising God. But then verse thirty nine it says, and some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. The Pharisees are like these people were they're praising God, okay? They're praising Jesus and they're praising God at the same time, which by the way is completely appropriate. Now I don't know what the Jehovah's Witnesses do at this passage because yeah, you don't praise a man as God. Okay? Any man that would take praise as God is evil unless in fact they are God. And Jesus, of course, was. It was completely appropriate. But the Pharisees, they didn't believe that. I mean, the Pharisees, they're standing there like, you know, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke your followers. Listen to how they're praising you. In the Old Testament, whenever people would praise some of the prophets and things as God, of course, the prophets always rebuked them, and rightfully so, because these men were not God. But Jesus was. And what was taking place was an exciting event. I mean, it was thrilling, and Jesus, I mean, this is a historical event. Prophecy is being fulfilled, and Jesus says to these Pharisees that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Jesus is kind of just saying here, listen, something amazing is taking place right here. Something exciting is happening. God, and these, there needs to be some praise going on. The Messiah is coming into town. The prophecy is being fulfilled. And if these people weren't doing it, the stones would be. And you might think that sounds kind of weird. What's he talking about there? And I want to talk about that verse. And I want to talk today about not letting the rocks take your place. Understand that God has a will that is going to be done and it's going to be accomplished. There are some things that are just, they're going to happen. There's nothing we can do to stop them. Okay, now I'm not talking. I'm not talking about Calvinism and things like that. But listen, there are some things that are going to happen. We're not going to be able to stop the tribulation from coming. It's going to come. We're not going to be able to stop the Antichrist from appearing. He's going to appear. It's part of God's plan. There's going to be a battle of Armageddon. All those things are going to happen. We can't stop that. God is going to be glorified. There's. God is going to ultimately. He receives the honor and the glory. We can do that, or somebody else can. I would prefer it be us. I believe God wants to save people in this community. And I believe there's people that are searching and people that are that are seeking whose hearts are ready. And I believe God is going to save those people. But I hope He uses us to do it. And He's got, but He's going to use somebody. There are some things there. There are some things if we don't do them, they're not going to get done. But there are some things they're going to get done no matter what. It's a part of God's plan. It's God's God's determined it to happen. And it's God's will for His people to be the one to fulfill these things and to do these things. We're going to talk about some of them. But the first one, that is, it's, listen, this is our job. 
Something that we don't want to let something else take our place. And that is, one, it's our job to be a light to this world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, if you want to turn over there, familiar passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Understand today that we have there there is there is a gospel message. Okay, there is a, there is a message of the gospel that God wants to be given to the world. The Bible Bible says. Oh boy, I wish I'd wrote this one down. In one of the prophecies, it talks about how uh, the gospel is going to be preached in all the world. Okay, it's going to happen. The gospel is going to be preached. It's going to get out there. And God said that ye are the light of the world. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter twenty-eight. He said, "Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you." It was God's people that He wants to spread the gospel. And you know what? There's many people today who are letting they're wanting other people to do it. And I'm saying, God, I'm saying, well, you need to do today. Say, you know what? I'm not going to let anybody take my place. I'm going to do these things that God has commanded me to do. I'm not going to let somebody else take my place. You know, one of the problems that we're having uh, when it goes to the mission field, we have uh, you know, the missionary that's here today, and he, and he probably knows this, but one of the biggest challenges that missionaries are facing today when they get to a mission field, for example, in country, there are some countries that are not open to the gospel, they don't allow missionaries. But whenever these countries do open up, a lot of the mission by the time the Baptists get their missionaries over there, they've been beat there by the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Charismatics, and they're already over there, already doing all kinds of things, already giving Christianity a bad name, already confuse the people. I mean, the and a lot of times too, God's people are just like you know, hey, they're already doing these things. Let's let them do it. No, they're not. They're not going to do it. They're not doing it right. I mean, some of them, you know, they're oh well, you know, they're they're kind of teach salvation, okay? No, they're not doing it right. They're not doing it the way they should be, and it, that's up to us. God wants us to spread the gospel. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. We need to be the ones doing it. We need to be the ones setting the example. God's people ought to be the ones to set the example. As Christians, we're always trying to figure out how we can follow after the world and do what the rest of the world is doing. But the truth is, as Christians, we are supposed to be setting an example. We are supposed to be the ones making the difference. We've let Hollywood have the job of showing people how to do things like how to dress, how to talk, how to have relationships, how to live their life. Most of what people do today, most of the styles and things that come out, it Everybody's just copying off of something some weirdo actors doing in Hollywood. I mean, some of the crazy hairdos and things that people come up with, they saw somebody on TV doing it. And the sad thing is, is even as Christians, a lot of times we're like, we do the same thing. Well, that's what everybody else is doing. No, we are supposed to be the ones setting the example. We're the ones that are supposed to be making a difference. And we're letting, we're constantly letting other people have the job of changing the world. We're supposed to be changing the world. and Because here's the problem. When we let Hollywood change the world, so far they haven't changed it for the better, have they? 
So far, it's going downhill. It's getting worse. But also, it's our job to do things like give into the local church. Matthew or Malachi chapter three and verse eight through twelve. It talks about. I'll go ahead and read it real quick. Malachi chapter three verse eight through twelve says, "Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed God? Or wherein will we rob thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse." For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. It's like, well, why do we tithe? It says right here, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. Improve me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. He's saying, bring it so there will be meat in my house. In other words, so the things that are needed for the work of God will be there. There's things as a church that we need to be doing. We need to be getting the gospel out in the community. We need things like gospel tracts. We need to be giving out Bibles. We need to be having Sunday school classes. And we need to be teaching people about the Bible. We've got to be doing all these things. But all of those things, they they cost money. And a lot of people today in churches, they've decided, or a lot of the government programs that are out there today, that are totally just draining our tax dollars is the government trying to do jobs that churches used to do. A lot of back back in the day, it was churches a lot of times that fed the hungry, that helped the homeless, that had the orphanages and things like that. It was the churches that did those things. But now, I don't know what happened. Somewhere along the line, the church quit doing it. And if listen. One thing you always need to remember when it comes to your responsibility as an individual, what you don't do, somebody else is going to end up doing it. And it's usually the government. And they don't usually do a very good job, do they? They're they're really good at spending money, and that's about it. But the truth is, churches were always much better at it. But that stuff, it's not free, is it? People have to give to those things. Um, a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the programs that are out there. Churches used to do that. Churches used to take care of the poor and the needy. Churches used to do all that. But somewhere along the lines, people got this idea: well, church is just a place you go to get stuff from, and they quit giving. And hey, we don't we don't have money that just falls from the sky. I heard about I heard about one pastor. They asked me, you know, how do you get paid? He says, well, after the offerings come in, I take the offering plate, I throw the money up in the air, and what lands back in the plate, God gets, what all falls out or whatever, I keep. And I was like, oh, that was interesting. And the other pastor's like, ah, I do something, I, I do something similar. He said, I throw it up, what lands in the plate, I keep, what falls out, you know, God gets. And the third pastor's like, well, I, I do even better than that. I throw it up in the air, and whatever God catches, he gets to keep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but that's just kind of some people's attitude. It's like we, I mean, they don't they don't think about this stuff. But the truth is, when it comes to when it comes to giving, when it comes to the work of the uh, the work of the church and the things that take place, that is up to God's people. It's like some people think in a church that if, that we, you know, it's like they think you get their electricity for free, you get the buildings for free, you heat the place for free. I mean, that we just. No, it's not. We don't have. I mean, it comes from all of you, 
from the giving and the offering. It's up to God's people. You know, the supporting missionaries, we do that from the tithes and offerings of God's people. That's the only way that stuff can be done. And listen, a lot of the ministries and a lot of the programs that, that need to be out there, we need to help the poor. You know, we need to do things like that. We need to take care of the widows and orphans. We need to do all those things. But if God's people don't give, if you don't take care of that, somebody else will. And they're probably not going to do a very good job. It's God's people are the ones that should be taking care of these things. But also, it's your it's our job to as a as a church as people to improve the community. Matthew chapter five verse thirteen. Right after he says, "Ye are the light of the world," he also says, "Ye are the salt of the earth." Salt it makes things better. It makes it makes things taste better. As Christians, as a church, we ought to make th- we ought to make this community a better place. Liberty Baptist Church, hopefully, has in, maybe in a small way has made Rock Falls a better place. You know, or, uh, you as an individual, you ought to be the nicest person on your street. Listen, I'm sorry, the lost drunkard shouldn't have you beat. Okay, you ought you ought to be the nice one. You ought to be. The most helpful one. You ought, you need to be the one setting the example. A lot of times as Christians, you know, we like to complain about everybody else. And you know, I mean, I wish this person would do that, and I wish you know the world would do this. Listen, that's up to us. We are supposed to make the world a better place. We are supposed to start these things. You should not be the, definitely should not be the one causing the problems. Ephesians chapter five. I want to read this passage. Ephesians. Sometimes Christians are the cause of a lot of the problems. And that's sad when that happens. But it says in Ephesians 5, verse 1, "...Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints." Listen, there is a lot of garbage that's going on in this world. A lot of garbage that is really just a part of our culture anymore. But as saints, the Bible says, let it not be once named among you, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Listen, when you go to work, chances are you know, you're sitting there in the break room, there's going to be some people in there that are going to be telling some dirty jokes. There's going to be some people in there that are throwing out some profanity, making your work environment a worse place. As a Christian, that should not ever be once named among you. You're the salt of the earth. If it's your voice that's being heard, it ought to be for the better. It ought to be speaking of good things. It ought to be speaking truth. Verse 5, For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. So don't don't get involved in that. There's so much stuff that's that's going on in this world. There's so much stuff going on in this community. And yes, it's there, but we cannot expect everyone else to just all of a sudden get in line and start doing right. That's up to us. We've got to make sure we keep our act together. We've got, and we've got to make sure that we set the example. Do you know why most people use the filthy language that they use? It's because it's what they hear all the time. 
That's what they, you know, I, I've heard, I've heard my kids, even Allie, when she gets mad, I've heard her say things like, dog. That's kind of my favorite cuss word, I guess, that I, <laughs> that I use. And I've heard her say, you know, why did she say that? Because she hears her daddy say that. And, uh, you know, we, we're, we're copycats. And you know, the, the reason you hear those filthy words that are out there is because the world's copying a bunch of lost people. People on, you know, what they're hearing on television, what they're hearing from their friends. We should not be contributing to that. When I worked at Walmart, I remember people, they were always hoping to hear me cuss. I was determined to never give them that satisfaction. I didn't. And I had my alternative words, I, you know, like dog and stuff like that. I, I'd use, I remember one time I, something happened, I knocked some stuff over and saw this guy and he was looking at me just waiting for me to cuss. And I just, I just, I just said, poison ivy. I said, now you made me say a rash word. <laughs> and they thought that was so funny. And I remember the guys at work, when they would get mad a lot of times, they would just scream poison ivy. And you know what? It was a whole lot better than what they used to scream. <laughs> I felt like I had contributed something to kind of change in the language and the work department. Because I'm telling you, what I was here and it wasn't pretty. And that was a Walmart that had a no profanity policy. That was kind of a joke, but uh, but you know you know how that goes. But that's what we've got to do. We've got to be the ones changing things, not the ones causing the problems. Many have talked a lot. I've heard a lot of people talk about how this area it went downhill when the prison came to Dixon. I've had several people tell me like, yeah, this area went down when the prison came to Dixon. What if people said, you know what? You know when Rock Falls really started going downhill when Liberty Baptist Church showed up? Can you imagine? That shouldn't be the case at all. As a church, uh, I mean, it really ought to be... You know what? They ought to be able to start tracing back maybe when things turned around. You know, when that church got started. And you know, because the truth is, if we're doing our job, that means there's going to be more people getting saved which is going to mean less lost people. When a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit moves. They become a new creature. They're not going to be doing all the same things that they used to do. That means there's going to be less sinning going on. That's going to mean there's more people who God is blessing. I mean, it's it can only get... If we're doing our job, the community should be getting better. Things ought to be improving. And it definitely should never be said that things started going downhill when that church showed up. That would be... Horrible, but uh, don't please don't let that happen. <laughs> please don't please don't let that happen. It's our job to make it better. Listen, I believe in voting. I vote for I vote for leaders and all that. I try to pick the right people, but I don't depend on them. I, I don't count on them for very much. I, I really don't. I I don't. I like to think that's our job, and somebody's going to make the difference for the good or the bad. I would prefer. I think God wants it to be us. But also, it's our job, or it's your job, to take care of your family. First Timothy chapter five and verse eight. First Timothy five eight. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Those are some pretty strong words, but that's Bible. Listen, if you don't take care of yourself. Somebody's going to somebody's going to do it for you. Somebody else will. It's going to get done by somebody. But I'm here today to tell you, you know, somebody ought to, you know you ought to keep your house clean. You ought to pick up after yourself. 
But if for some reason you just refuse to do it, and I have to do it, I'm not going to do a very good job. You know why? Because I'm probably going to have a bad attitude about it. I'm not going to want to do it. I'm not, I'm not going to feel like it. I'm not going to be as concerned about it because I'm not the one that has to live there. And too many people, they're always looking to the outside for everybody to do things for them. Listen, you're the best one to do it. I want. It's my job to raise my kids. Okay? I'm not going to depend on anybody else to do that for me. A lot of times, parents are depending on the public schools to be the one to raise their kids. Listen, that's not their job. Okay, it's their job. It's their job to educate. They're supposed to do that. But even as a parent, I think I wouldn't just depend on them for that. I'd help. I'd help out a little bit. I'd help my kid with their. You know, help your kid with your homework. Make sure they're actually learning something. Don't just depend on them. I mean, anymore we're just constantly they're adding all these you know before school programs and after school programs, and pretty soon before I mean kids are getting like all three meals now almost in some of these schools. Pretty soon they're going to be spending the night at the schools. And a lot of parents would be thrilled to death if that's what they did. Hey, I don't have to do anything anymore. Here, just go there. I, I'll, I'll never forget. I knew these folks, and they had these. It was it was a very sad situation. It was it was lesbians that were raising some kids, good kids. They they came on our bus route, but boy, they had a horrible home situation, and they had behavior issues. There was no discipline in that house, and. I remember it was so it, it blew my mind. One, one of the kids got out of control, and when they would get out of control, they would call the police. And finally, they were calling the authorities all the time on their. These are ten-year-old kids, okay? Calling the cops on their ten-year-old kid. But anyway, they ended up taking them to this home where they basically go and test medications on them, figure out how to get them under control. And then they stay there for a couple weeks or whatever, and they send them back home with the new meds. And then, and they sent them there, and they thought it was the greatest thing. They got rid of their kids for a couple weeks, and anytime they had problems, they would call. This is in LaSalle. They would call the ambulance or whatever. The ambulance would come and pick them up and take them all the way to Schaumburg to stay in this home where they would test out medications on them. Keep them under control. And here's the sad thing. They thought it was the greatest thing and were telling all their friends about it. And then their friends started sending their kids there. And it was absolutely horrible what they were doing, what they were doing to these kids. And you know what? A lot of times people look at those, you know, those doctors and stuff that are putting these kids on all these medications and doing all this stuff to them. And those terrible doctors, it's like, it's not those doctors' jobs to take care of those kids. It's the parents. You know why they're doping up so many kids in schools these days? Because parents have said, watch my kids all day long, educate them, teach them manners, teach them everything, but don't you dare lay a hand on them. Don't you dare discipline my kid. Don't you dare give my kid an F. And it's the teachers. So i got to keep this little maniac under control for eight hours... Hey, you asked me to do that to your kid. I'm going to give up real fast. I'm going to say, take this. <laughs> that's, what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. You know why? I would never do that to my kid. But somebody else's kid, I might. <laughs> because We had some kids who used to come on our bus route. If they didn't have their pill, it was bad. And we weren't allowed to do anything to them. And we'd tell them, hey, did you take your pill before you got on the, before you got on the bus? Because otherwise it was over. 
But the truth is, it wasn't our job to raise him. It was their job. And they were fine to say, no, somebody else do it. Hey, baby, you know, we're going to get this television as the babysitter. And that television, it can't keep the kids on the couch and up, so let's give them the pill too. Let's do all these things. And listen, these things, it's just people constantly trying to turn their jobs over to somebody else. It's your job to raise your children. The Bible says, you know, bring them up. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. If you don't take care of your kids, somebody else is going to have to do it. In our culture today, many grandparents are raising their kids, their grandkids. And thank God for those grandparents. But let me tell you something. My parents, they were great parents. My parents are great grandparents. Alright? They they do a great job as grandparents. But boy, I'd be scared to death if they had to raise my kids now. You know why? Because they get softer as you get older. A lot more compassionate. My parents were mean to me. They're they're nice to my kids though, even when they're bad. And you know what? I'm thankful my parents were mean to me. I needed it. I need and so do my kids. But if my parents raised them, I'd be scared to death. And the truth is, it's not their job. That's my that's my job to do that. It's my job to take care of my spouse. Ephesians chapter five twenty five. Husbands, love your wife. Wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. It's my job to take care of my spouse. It's my, it's my job to do that. And you know what? That one thing that happens sometimes, and it's not right. But when a husband or a wife they don't they're not taking care of each other, some other guy or some other woman comes along and does. They meet those needs. And is that what God intends? Absolutely not. And it causes all kinds of problems. It's your husbands, it's your job. Wives, it's your job. It's your job, lastly, to praise the Lord. Psalms 100, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence. Was saying that's what we saw happening here in this story on Palm Sunday. The people were praising God at a time... God always deserves praise, but boy, this was an exciting event that was taking place. And they're praising the Lord. And that's what we're supposed to do. And Jesus told those Pharisees that if they didn't do it, the rocks would immediately cry out. And listen, it's our job to praise. It's our job to praise the Lord. It's something that we need to. We and it's up to us to be spreading the truth about creation. I'm sorry, these lost atheist scientists are not going to tell the truth. That's up to us. We need to let folks know who's in control of the environment. People all the time worrying about global warming and all that stuff. And listen, and climate change. Last night. I forgot, I forgot to turn all our lights on at the house at between like 8.30 and 9.30. Everybody's supposed to turn their lights off you know, to help save the environment and all that. And that just that aggravates me to death. And I, I like to go against stuff like that. <laughs> but the truth is, hey, this world is going to burn one of these days. Global warming is coming, not because of fossil fuels, because of man's sin. God, this world eventually is going to burn up. But God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. God's in control. God's in control of the environment. I'm worried. I'm not. I'm not worried about anybody else. We can't undo God's plan when it comes to what He has prepared for this world. But it's our job to praise the Lord. The world's not going to do it. The atheists on television, the news media is not going to praise the Lord. The Hollywood crowd—they're not going to make movies that honor and glorify God. It's just not going to happen. That is up to us. And so, in conclusion. This is kind of one of my 
theories, I guess. All right, sometimes I read things in the Bible and I kind of come to some conclusions that they're not necessarily unbiblical, but you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they're true. But I always say at least they're interesting. I think this is interesting. But remember in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus was born, when those shepherds, they're out in the field and the Bible says they saw that multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. What an amazing thing that was. Why did they see that? Why, why did God let them see that happening? Why was it taking place? Well, I, re- I think the reason that multitude was there where people could see them, I believe it was because that day a great prophecy had been fulfilled. The Messiah had just been born. Jesus Christ was on earth. The Son of God was there. What an exciting event that was. But who was praising God on earth? Nobody. Nobody was there. You know, Mary, she was busy, you know, delivering the baby, and Joseph was trying to help her out. The everybody else that weren't even paying attention. There was no room for him in the end. There's not paying any attention to him. He's there all by himself in that manger. But the one, probably the most amazing thing that had happened to date at that point had just happened, and nobody's praising God. And God said, "We can't have this. Somebody's got to do some praising right now." So you know what he did? He sent the angels along. Say, hey, somebody's got to do it. Otherwise, maybe he was afraid the rocks were going to start doing it then and that would have freaked out the whole city. <laughs> the rocks would have started praising God. Hey, sent the angels. Go ahead and go down there and start doing some praising. Somebody had to do it. Somebody's going to get the job done. Somebody's going to get the job done in this community. There's folks out there right now they are lost or on their way to hell that God is going to save. I want them to use us. I want them to use me. I want I want to claim responsibility. I want to do the job. There's things that are going to get done, and I want to be able to say that I had a part in it. I did something. I'm not going to let the rocks take my place. Don't let the rocks take your place. God has a plan for everyone in here. God's got something that He wants you that's special just for you. And whatever that is, you are the best person in the world for that job. You're the best. God made you for that job. If you don't do it, somebody else will. But they're not going to do as good of a job. Not as good as you would. You've been, you've been made for something. And if you don't know what it is, ask God, show me what it is and help me to do it. Let's all, so let's all stand together.